reflecting on our human condition, the uh, holy life is a sometimes might seem particular emphasis we place on reflecting mindfulness wisdom. Um, a bit of a um, almost unfeeling attempt to to just maybe not be not feel but to just look at term look look at everything in very kind of objective ways. You see everything is a nitya dukanata. That's how it might seem. But the uh, remember the the uh, heartfelt experience of life is a is a loving one, so that we we're not dismissing or suppressing our love or devotion. This is this is what what is the joy of being in this form. Of course, one can use anything to suppress, even uh, ideas, ideals, uh, loving kindness, compassion, can merely, uh, by attachment to the ideas of them, we, we can be quite unfeeling, unkind in practical situations. So if we're looking at, at the f- experience of love as just a Nietzsche Dukkanata, that might seem like cold surgery. Or it's merely the way of, of having perspective so that there, so that love is not an attachment, not, uh, not something that blinds us. If we're attached to the idea of love, then we, we can be quite blind to its reality. We, we can get very inspired by talking about it or by meditating on love and longing for it and, and then seeking it in others and demanding it or feeling somehow left out or whatever. But what is love as, a, as a, what is this, this, this word that we use so much? How is it, what is it really in a, in our lives as we live them here at Amravati. On an emotional plane, you might want to be have uh, feelings of tremendous uh, oneness or maybe aiming at some particular person here, wanting to have a specially, uh, special relationship, of loving relationship with, with another person. Or love can be an abstraction, it's the love of all human beings, love of all beings, love of God, love of, of something or some concept. Devotion uh, is, well, is from the heart, isn't it? It's not, uh, it's not a rational thing. You're not, you can't make yourself feel love or devotion. It's because you you like the idea of it. It's when you're non-attached 
when your heart is open, receptive and free, then one begins to experience what pure love is. Loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, the, the, the realm, the divine abodes, the Brahma Viharas. These come from an empty mind, not from a sterile position of this annihilating feeling, but from a, from a heart that is not deluded not blinded by ideas of self or others or lust or greed or whatever. As much as you might think the world is maybe just cold and heartless uh, or that that one is, say, maybe because in a, in a community such as this the, the way of restraint, of discipline and that does not it, it, we, we're not uh, kind of demonstrative in our expressions of love or joy. It's not a community bubbling up with with uh, a, with our feelings of devotion. That we it's quite formal, restrained in its in its form and in expression. But then love is. This does not deny love, does it? It, it's, it means that that uh, with the mindfulness, with the way we say we relate just to the to our own bodies, to the sangha, to the lay people, to the, the tradition, to the society, to whatever. There's an openness, a kindness, a receptivity. An interest, a caring, a joyfulness, a compassion that can that we can feel. That is still anicca, which is still anicca and anatta, and is dukkha in the sense that it's not in itself the end of anything, is it? It's not satisfying as an as an identity or an attachment. But when the heart is free from illusions of self then then uh, that is the pure joy of being it's not expected to be anything or anybody or last or be permanent or make anything of it it's just the natural way of things so that is a there is also when you when you contemplate that it uh, it's the way of faith and trust and devotion. When we talk about faith and and confidence and trust, we these are what they're nothing you can really really grasp. Is it? You can't. Faith is is not anything that you can uh, create to really have trust and faith and and uh, confidence in Dhamma, one can say the words, 
but it is the ability to let go of any demand or affirmation or confirmation or or uh, any attachment whatsoever and that experience of faith comes more and more to us as we examine and understand the Dhamma or the true way of things if we really contemplate Dhamma see Dhamma then there is this this faith this strong sense of total trust confidence in truth if you're practicing what you're calling vipassana meditation and you're getting more kind of frightened or anxious or tense or or feeling uh, emotionally sterilized or more uh, say in this negative way then that is there's something wrong with it you're not doing it the right way there's still maybe the repressive side you're you're just using maybe technique or or forms or whatever as a as a way of suppressing your feelings or denying things so you end up feeling maybe more tense skeptical uncertain unconfident through the attachment to some view you have about it direct experience means that the more we we really see and understand completely, truly the way things are, the more we have this sada, this faith increases. There's a total trust, total, when one, when, one sa- when one talks about surrender or giving up or letting go, it's not just, it's, 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 a, it's through total trust. It's not just a kind of foolish taking a chance or, or a risk. It is through the experience of faith. But this path is something we, 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 we cultivate. We have to know where we are and not trying to become something that we'd like to be, but just know exactly how it is now. Without the, without making a kind of judgment about it. If you're feeling tense, nervous, disillusioned, disappointed about yourself or the tradition or the teacher or the monks or the nuns or whatever, then to recognize that or what it is in the moment is enough and to to be willing to just admit to acknowledge the way it is rather than to indulge in, in believing that what you're feeling is somehow <coughs> an accurate uh, description of, of reality or to feel uh, that what you're feeling is wrong and you shouldn't be feeling like that. Those are the, the, the two extremes. But the way, the cultivation of the way is by recognizing that whatever subject to arising is subject to ceasing. 
And this isn't a put-down or a kind of cold-hearted, feelingless way of, of cultivating the path, even though it might sound like it sometimes. Sometimes you think, well, you just have to, to kind of let go of all your feelings and, and see the love in your heart is just merely a Nietzsche Dukkanata. You feel love for, for the Buddha and you think, well, it's just a Nietzsche Dukkanata, that's all it is. And you feel love for the teacher, it's just a Nietzsche Dukkanata, don't get attached to the teacher. You feel love for the tradition, just a Nietzsche Dukkanata, don't get attached to traditions or techniques. or teachers, or whatever. Don't get attached to anything. It can, be, can be, merely be a way of suppressing everything. It's not, it's not letting go, or it's not non-attachment. It can merely be a position you take. And, and if you take that position, and you operate from that position, then all you're going to feel is... Uh, is, uh, is negativity, stress. You shouldn't be attached to anything. You shouldn't love anything. You shouldn't feel anything. All feeling, anything, is just a Nietzsche Dukkanata. And that, that means that you, you're just taking the, the, the words and you're using it in a kind of, like a, like a bludgeon, a big club to your mind. You're not you're not reflecting, watching, observing, opening, trusting. Meta practice, say, is uh, is one beautiful lovely devotional practices of, of that is highly recommended in, in um, Buddha Dhamma. Loving kindness. As human beings, we have, we're warm-blooded creatures, aren't we? This, uh, and, uh, we, we do feel love. This is part of our humanity. We like each other. We like to be with people. We like we like to be kind, don't we? We like to be kind to the cats or to the to the to other beings. We we get enjoyment out of out of cooking food and giving it to to other people. We enjoy helping. You can see just the the dana, the 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 custom of dana. What just in the Asian communities, what how they kind of light up. Sri Lankans, when they come here with all their uh, curries and their and their dani, and they light up. It's a real, it's a, it's a, the joy of giving. That's what now if that that's that's a very good quality, isn't it? It's beautiful to see somebody who's maybe been up all night preparing delicious food to offer to somebody else. They're not cooking it for themselves. 
well, what is that as a human experience? I mean, is that is that cold surgery, or is that defilement, or is that being attached, or you shouldn't feel delight at, uh, or, or happiness at doing things for others? This is what this is the this is the beauty of our humanity: being able to love, to give, to share, to be generous. Contemplated. What would be the, the the great delight of being the richest man in the world? What would be the truly delightful thing of having being the richest man in the world? To get what I want? No, no that doesn't. That's, it'd be the opportunity to give it away. That would be the true delight of being rich and wealthy is that you could give it away as a dana, as generosity and that would be then it would be wonderful to be rich because you could just give it away where to be rich and, and not be able to give it away would be a real burden, wouldn't it? to try to hang on to it keep it suspect everyone of trying to get hold of it get your money get things for yourself you can if you were the if I was the richest man in the world then I'd have everything I want already I would be bored out of my mind if I just spent my life just getting more and more things what a dreary life what a what a burden that would be to be the richest man in the world and be selfish and hold on to it and keep it all for myself. But the joy of wealth would be in one's ability to share it and give it without any kind of without any kind of corrupt intentions or demands, selfish demands. So this is this is something lovely about our humanity, isn't it? That that there is we can experience this joy of giving. It is something we all experience in, in, when we really give something, when we help somebody without any selfish uh, request or demand for something back, then we experience joy. So what is that in, in being human? I mean, that's... that's uh, certainly a lovely human experience. It's not just cold surgery, is it? Well, you know, the joy you get at giving things is just a Nietzsche Dukkanata. You can, if you can, you know, that's old sourpuss Vipassanini lingo. But as an ex- as, a, as, a, as a, a real experience, we don't expect it to make us joyful for the rest of our lives. We give one dana, and then we expect, well, I've given this dana, and I felt the joy of giving it, but, but it didn't last. You know, the next hour I still didn't feel very good. And I haven't given a dana for ten years. In this past ten years, I'm expecting that I gave one dana, and I'd have permanent joy forever. It's ridiculous, isn't it, to make a demand that 
that somehow the reward be a permanent self to have it truly nicha, sukha, and atta for eternity. So that the joy of, of generosity and kindness isn't permanent. Isn't permanent, doesn't make us permanently happy. But we don't expect it to be, because if we do, then we then it's no longer dana. It's a it's a deal we're making, isn't it? It's not it's not a gen, act of generosity. It's it's buying something. Real joy comes from being from giving, and and, and not even caring about whether anyone even knows or acknowledges it. Because as soon as, as the self comes in, like, I'm giving this dana to you, and, and uh, I, I'm, this is very important that you know who's giving this dana. Me, I'm giving it. Then the, the joy, the amount of joy that comes from giving is, very, is probably very minimal. Because if, if I'm so concerned about being recognized and being appreciated, and that you appreciate my generosity and my goodness, then that is a joyless state of mind, isn't it? It just can't, one cannot feel happy or have real joyfulness in, in living. If, you, if there's any sense of, any, any attachment to the idea that somehow it should be recognized by anyone at all, doesn't matter whether anyone knows or recognizes or appreciates it, it's not the point. If they do, that's fine. Not, nothing wrong with people appreciating one's goodness, somebody else's goodness and generosity, but that, that's, there's no demand for that. So then there is the joy. Love, then, in the sense of, of what we talk about, love, altruistic love, or universal love, rather than say romantic love, which is usually based on the illusion of a self and a demand for something back, isn't it? But say universal love, or the, uh, or the whole process is represented in the Brahma Viharas. Brahma Viharas of Metta Karuna Mudita Upeka. When our when say the Love as a is is a unitive experience. It brings together. It unites. It's a communion. It's a union. It's universal. It's one. In the sense of of not being two, of being one, of union, two things coming together and uniting, of communion. 
then say hate is the experience of separation when we hate then then there's definitely I uh, there's no union communion oneness isn't it there's two hatred is separative divisive discriminative and love is unitive so when we want unity then we, we because living in a world of hate and discrimination and separation is 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 a, a miserable uh, hell realm isn't it to just live only in this state of alienation being separate and alienated not having any not being one with anything not having any communion not having a community you know, the community is a communion a sangha a one if we're if we're divorced from the sangha say if we if we hate the sangha I hate this this nun I hate that monk and I don't like that don't like this then there's not a community anymore it's a it's a uh, disunity it's me not liking this person not liking that person and then that very feeling is one of um, alienation separation emphasizing me and you and your faults and my feeling and my anger at the at your fault or the, my my emphasizing the things that are wrong with you things that are wrong with the monks things that are wrong with the nuns things that are wrong with with the anagarikas and so on, the things that are wrong and 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 attaching to those those perceptions makes me feel alienated separated angry discontented, unhappy, depressed. Sometimes sometimes the mind will just go into this very negative state where all you just feel is annoyance and you see in whatever people always, whatever they do, it doesn't seem quite good enough. One can get into a really picky, negative mood, grumpiness. Where you go, you think, the monk says they aren't trying hard enough the garikas the garikas see the daras lay people how much you teach the lay people do you think they ever really get the point of the teaching (laughs) (laughs) it goes on and on and on when you're in that mood then everything is wrong the cats the the um, the sun, the moon, the mind just goes into division, separation, negativity, and and once it can be just and then the, then everything you see is you're separate from it. There's no communion or union possible as long as one is identified and attached to that that attitude of mind, that mood. Now, when there's love, then there's that we we can overlook 
when you're in a loving mood, then it doesn't really matter whether somebody is is you know if they're not feeling very good or they're not doing exactly what they should or they're they're little things, little bits and pieces that aren't quite uh, what they should be and so that when you're when you're in a loving mood, they aren't very important. What's wrong with somebody or something is is not the important issue anymore. When you're in a loving mood, you can overlook a lot, almost anything really. Because if you don't, then you get in one of those hateful moods. So the loving loving form of loving experience is because you're you're willing to overlook the the personality differences and the, and the the discriminations that exist on the condition in the conditioned realm or the feeling of communion of union of oneness it's like brothers and sisters in old age sickness old age sickness and death Suddenly, that's that's we're we're uniting as brothers and sisters in a common experience of old age, sickness, and death. That's a that's a a, a union a union, isn't it? A communion of brothers and sisters in old age, sickness, and death. Not pointing out the, the differences, uh, or who's better than who, or. Sangha is a commun- community. It's a communion, isn't it? Oneness. When we take refuge in Sangha, we're taking refuge in Supatipano, Ujapatipano, Yaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano. Rather than in Americans or British or Australians or in men or women or in nuns or monks or in this or that, but in those who practice the Dhamma, the good, the, the direct, the sincere. Now, being human means we have both tendencies for for union and for separation, and so mindfully we're we're aware of this. We're not we're not choosing sides. We're not being a terribly idealistic and saying we we should only unite and never separate. But we're recognizing the way things are as dhamma that there is there is uniting and there is separating, and and one is not identifying with either extreme. With some things we need to separate. As much as we might love each other, uh, when we have to go to the toilet, we separate. Not because uh, if I have to go to the toilet that I hate you, is it? So I'm separating from you. It's just that awareness of time and place and what is and because of my love for you, I don't want to subject you to <laughs> an unpleasant 
experience unnecessarily, something that can be dealt with in a, a, a separate situation. So there's time for union, communion, time for separation, time for discrimination, time for for non-discrimination, that it's all a part of our human experience, for devotion, for gratitude, for generosity, for joy. But there's also time for examining what's wrong, looking at the flaws, looking at anger and jealousy and fear, and really, really uh, accepting it and, and, and understanding those, those, ex- those emotional experiences rather than judging them and taking them as self, as something that, sh- that you shouldn't have, something wrong. So that we have, we have this, is, this is what being human is all about. We have an intelligent mind. We're born into a separate form, and yet we can unite. We can we can have we can realize unity, community, oneness. But we can also discriminate. So the the refuge in the Buddha is is that is the ability of a human individual being to. Recognize these, this, both sides, the positive, the negative, and being able to respond appropriately to time and place, the, the joy of giving, the joy of, uh, of being able to share, to receive, to to unite, to commune, to have community, to have communion. We can also appreciate our discriminative functions, ability to to separate and divide, and to look at aspects of aspects and refinements and details. And but if we can also appreciate that not as not not as uh, in a personal way but as just part of our human experience so we can look at what's wrong or the flaws the discrepancies the smudges the problems of life but we're no longer uh, proliferating magnifying exalting being obsessed with what's wrong because we have the perspective of unity and separation. The conditioned, the unconditioned, the arising and the ceasing, the way things are, the Dhamma. Being a Buddhist uh, monk or a Buddhist nun, is it, is it a denial of love? Is it, are you 
just suppressing? Are you living within the restraint of, of linear discipline? Is it, is it merely a, a kind of holding yourself down and, and suppressing your feelings? It can be, can't it? It can be just that. We can use linear discipline and monastic uh, tradition as merely a way of, of avoiding things. Maybe the monks are just frightened of women. Maybe it's a way of just avoiding that whole issue, having to cope with, the, with, with women. Maybe the nuns, they're just petrified of men, so they become nuns, so they don't have to they don't have to face their fears and anxieties in regards to relationships with men. Maybe, maybe every nun is that way and every monk is that way. And of course, many worldly people think like that, don't they? I think we're all here because of inability to cope with the real world. But is that really how it is? As, a, as an, if it is, then you're, then if if that's what you're a monk or a nun for, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. This is not a an instrument to avoid reality in life, but for reflecting on it. Because in the restraint, in in the dignity of restraint, in the uh, way of, of monasticism is, is an expression of love for all beings, men, women, both inside and, and outside. And we're now no longer choosing one person to focus our attention on and devote ourselves to, but all beings, men, women, all beings. That's how I see it. Not that I'm don't that uh, I realize that if I were uh, say family man, then my my whole attention would have to be towards my wife and my children and immediate family. But that's the result of family life. You. You, uh, and what marriage is about you, you, is they they have the priority in your they have you have to relate in regard those who you're who you are married to who are responsible for say as a bhikkhu or a sinadara then that doesn't mean that you're getting out of that but it's more all inclusive it includes everything. One can be an alms mendicant, live on faith alone, on the trust in the goodness, benevolence of other beings, because one is one is feels love or respect for all beings. So in our lives, they are love and respect for all beings, loving kindness is what generates the the uh, alms that that 
sustain us in this life as alms mendicants. And the funny thing is that the power of the Buddhist Sangha is so strong that even if you hate all other beings, the alms still come in. The power of the of the robe seems to be so strong that that even if you, as an individual monk or nun, hate everybody, you're still going to get fed by them, by the kindness, kind-hearted beings, the the lay people, because of the just the the barami of the Buddha. But that doesn't mean you you should develop hatred and justify yourself in that way. But it's a reflection of the power <laughs> of, of just the, uh, a very skillful convention that was established by the Lord Buddha. And when you appreciate that, then one really feels love, trust. And they like like this, these monasteries here in England. Why do they work? Why should they work in a non-Buddhist country? Why should anybody bother to to come to Amaravati and offer you anything at all? Who do you think you are? Why should anybody want to send a check by mail? Bring a sack of potatoes or prepare a delicious meal or whatever. Why should they bother? This is the barami of the Buddha, Buddha, and the and the goodness of the life itself generates that. It's the the love, the loving kindness, the compassion, the joy. That which 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 reaches out and and brings and 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 opens other people to that same experience. It is, it is kind of mysterious in a way, just a practical human worldly attitude of what do you, you know, how do you justify your existence and what do you do for the society? In terms of Western values, we don't look like we do all that much for any, anyone. Many people think we just sit here and try to get enlightened for ourselves, live in kind of nice, pleasant mental states, because we can't stand the the real world that way. But once, say, the more you you uh, contemplate this life and and understand it, the more you realize the power of the goodness, the faith, the, uh, the barami of the Buddha, the way that, that a communion is taking place, an interconnection of goodness, trust, generosity, which is part of our human experience, isn't it? And it, and it, and it, and it, it, it can't, needn't be kind of demonstrated and, and talked about and, and emphasized a lot. 
it speaks for itself. We don't have to go. You should give us, because we are practicing the Dhamma and we are disciples of it, so you should be giving us our food and trying to, to con people into supporting this community through intimidation or conversion. It comes because of, of the, because it's deserved and people appreciate, people respect it brings joy and happiness into people's lives. Because as human beings we rejoice in, in the in the beauty of others and in the goodness and benevolence of this experience of living that we're all involved with. So the holy life is it's a it is a strange one. Strange way to live actually. It's uh quite uh, how it works is quite a mystery in the, in terms of uh, in the terms that we think and regard as reality according to our cultural conditioning but as dhamma as truth as as the way things are we see it actually happening working and this we this increases our faith our sadda our trust in what we're doing, in the refuges that we have, in the in the uh, beauty and goodness of our lives, as holy seekers, as samanas. So I offer this for your reflection.